Join us now on The Collector Show with Harold Nickel. It is The Collector Show for another week. Thank you for joining us. Coming up later in the show, one of the neatest, most unusual, and most inexpensive collecting hobbies you can ever hope to learn about. We're going to be talking about collecting banana stickers. That's the stickers off bananas. And we did this, um, oh, I guess about a year ago, we talked about collecting banana stickers. But it's one of the hobbies that, at least to me, is so intriguing, I wanted to have Becky Martz back on the program to talk to us about the hobby. So hang in there for that. And then Heather Gallegos, our very good friend, is going to do a found collectible that complements banana stickers. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. You'll just have to listen to find out how the found collectible of the week with Heather Gallegos complements collecting banana stickers coming up later in the show. First, of course, as always, news from the world of collecting. This goes to show what you can find if you're lucky and if you're persistent and if you read carefully because a man in Dallas, Texas, according to the Associated Press, found the original recipe for Dr. Pepper. And for those of you who may not know, Dr. Pepper, the beverage, the drink, the popular soft drink, was invented in Waco, Texas by a pharmacist. So this man, Bill Waters, claims to have stumbled across a tattered old ledger that was filled with a bunch of different kinds of pharmaceutical formulas. So he paid $200 for it at an antique store, and he figured he could resell it for five times. But it turns out that his inkling about the book's value was completely wrong. It's worth a lot more than that, because inside this journal was a recipe titled D. Pepper's Pepsin Bitters. And another thing worth knowing about early soft drinks is that they were prescribed as medicine. They were prescribed as remedies for headaches and uh, upset stomach. In fact, Pepsi is just short for dyspepsia. Who knew that? See the things you learn listening to The Collector Show. So the Dr. Pepper people claim that while this recipe may be related to the soft drink, that it is not the actual recipe for the soft drink that you know today. Probably an earlier version of uh, the recipe. So he found it at an antique dealer looking to flip it to make some extra money. And um, he's got something that's worth a great deal more. And I wonder if the Dr. Pepper people will try to buy it back from him. Because according to the story, only three people in the world actually know the recipe for Dr. Pepper. And another thing worth knowing is that there's a Dr. Pepper museum in Texas, and we'll try to get them on for next week. We're also going to talk about yo-yo collecting next week on The Collector Show. You'll want to come back and listen in for that. And remember last week, Heather talked to us about old movie posters. Well, it turns out that not only are they fun to collect, but there's a man in Madison, New Jersey, Ralph DeLuca, uses them to hedge against the recession. Now, that by itself, people using their collectibles 
as investments is nothing new. But the thing that's interesting about Mr. DeLuca is that he is an investment advisor, and he's doing it. It says, private investment consultant DeLuca hardly batted an eye when he bought a vintage poster from the 1932 cult movie Freaks at auction in March for more than $100,000. The poster had cost ten in the early 70s. A few minutes later, he outbid competitors for a rare poster of the original Dracula from 1931 that was owned by actor Nicolas Cage. He paid $300,000 for that. It's just a matter of what your passion is, DeLuca said. I don't have bad vices. I don't gamble. I don't drink. This is like enforced savings for me. People tell me you could sell more of your stuff and buy a Bentley, but to me, a car is a depreciating asset. So if there's anything to learn this week on The Collector Show is that you can make money from your collectibles. You can use them as a hedge against inflation or bad times like the ones we're having now. Although the economy's coming back a little bit, and I would never tell anybody to use their collecting hobby as an investment, but here's a man in New Jersey, Ralph DeLuca, who has successfully parlayed his hobby into an investment. You can read more about that. That's from the Associated Press, as was the story about Dr. Pepper. Okay, coming up next, the interview segment of the show, Becky Martz and Balan... <laughs> Becky Martz and Banana Stickers. Easy for me to say. Coming up next on The Collector Show. You know, you've heard us talk on The Collector's Show with a lot of different people who collect a lot of different things. And we don't usually have return guests, but this is going to be the exception. Because I don't mind saying that when we started the show a little over a year ago, this was one of the, my favorite interviews that we ever did. And we have back with us this week Rebecca Martz, who um, goes by Becky. And Becky has... One of the coolest collections, I think, ever. She collects stickers off of bananas. And Becky, welcome back to The Collector's Show. Well, thank you, Harold. I'm glad to be back. Now, for people who didn't hear you with us the first time, and we've added tens of thousands of listeners since you were with us before, tell us about the hobby of collecting banana stickers. Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. And when I say I collect banana stickers, a lot of people say, you mean those blue ones? Yeah. Well, yes, but I have more than 8,500 different banana labels. Okay. And Sorry, go ahead. And many of those uh, I found myself on bananas, mm -hmm. but many of them I have traded for for other collectors who find their labels in their area, which are completely different from the labels that I find in my area. And so we trade, and that's how you get to get have a collection of 8,500 banana labels. Okay, so there are several things that you said that are surprising. Number one, there are over 8,000 different banana labels. Second, that jumps out at me, is that there's a lot of other people like you who do the same thing. Now, let's, let's start with the first one, the... Uh, number of banana stickers. How could there possibly be 8,000 plus banana stickers? Well, each company has usually a range of stickers. They may have uh, stickers for plantains, for the regular 
company may have quite a few labels. Also, companies change labels. They update them. They uh, go to a different printer and, and just have it done a little bit differently. They may also decide to do some kind of promotion, and then they almost act like little billboards where uh, Disney may um, pay them to advertise their movie, Ice mm-hmm. Age, or, or whatever, on that on the little stickers on the bananas. And some people may have seen little cartoon stickers on bananas, and that's what those are. So I, Sometimes, I can get my head around, okay, the different types of bananas, the reds, the plantains, mm-hmm. and... Um, Learn something else that the nor- the banana I'm accustomed to seeing is called a Cavendish banana. That's correct. I had, mm-hmm. and I guess it's named after Mr. Cavendish. I'm sure it is. Um, <laughs> I guess the ones that uh, we grew up with, or I don't know how old you are, that I grew up with, were a right. different variety, but they were almost all uh, wiped out okay. in, a, in a disease. And you will see articles that warn us that this may be happening to the Cavendish bananas, so they are working on more disease-resistant varieties. Okay, so, and I understand the things about promotions. I mean, I guess, and maybe this is silly, and maybe they did this, but when the re-release of Planet of the Apes, I would have thought the banana companies would have been all over that. You would think, and we're always hopeful. But they weren't? (laughs) But I have not seen any, no. Oh, man. Darn it. What, uh, a, what a missed uh, opportunity. Jungle Book, Jungle Book jumped on it, and we had some nice labels for that. So. Okay, so other than obvious things like that, what other kinds of information is there on these labels? Well, you can sometimes get, um, I mean, there have been political statements. This is a... A, a, a label that I got in uh, in a trade from mm-hmm. a guy in Belgium. Can, I'm sorry. Can can I get you to back off your phone just a little bit? Sorry, that's okay. Um, a guy in Belgium traded me for this. It says in French, you know, Chiquita, isn't this the way it is? Chiquita violates human rights. Oh dear. And they have and they have stuck that on top of a regular Chiquita label. So, so um, a deal that was. Kind of a terrorist group going around sticking those on there. Now, some people commemorate, some companies commemorate. There have been some for uh, the Olympics Mm -hmm. and um, some of the really most sought-after ones are are Olympic labels, which we haven't had any recently. Well, Uh, in in 1980... Uh, at the Moscow Olympics, the U.S. pulled out of the Olympics. Right. So Chiquita had printed up some labels, but then did not use them. So those are really kind of the holy grail of banana sticker collecting. I have not been able to add those to my collection yet. So like I'm with so uh, like with stamps, the unreleased uh, or uncirculated versions of, of labels would have value. Um, ironically, the 80 Olympics were uh, in protest over the invasion of Afghanistan. So, Right, right. Um, most of us try not to value labels with money. We like to trade instead. Okay. And um, so there are some people who sell them on eBay, and all, but most of us prefer to trade. So if I go into the local grocery this weekend, which I'm sure I will, 
and I want to start collecting banana stickers, what should I what should I look for? Well, if you're starting to collect banana stickers, you pick up any banana sticker you can find, and and of course that includes plantains or baby bananas or anything. And then of course you try to get quite a few copies of each one because you'll need those to trade. Okay. And and for the the trading purposes, I know that when we talked before, you talked about um, the fact that you could learn a lot about the bananas themselves sometimes from the label, like where it came from and, and things like that. The, uh, most of the labels, at least those ones that are used in the U.S., uh, usually have the country name on it. And that's actually how I first started collecting, was that I noticed that two labels um, that I had found that looked the same, they had one said Guatemala and one said Honduras. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I first started to notice banana labels. And then this was in 1991. Mm-hmm. And that same year, Chiquita put out a uh, Christmas label that said the perfect stocking stuffer. Oh. And I thought that was great. So that's the first sticker that I took with the idea of taking more. I, I do like the holiday ones. I always hopeful every year that at Christmas time or something that somebody will put out a Christmas label. And sometimes, sometimes they do. And I do want to mention you can see any of my labels on my label on my uh, label website. Okay. www.beckymartin.com. Okay. If interested in looking, and it's you can B. Find them there. It's all one word: b e c k m a r t z dot com. Right, and um, there it. I've looked at your site, and it is very interesting. And we get to see what you look like when we go to your <laughs> when we go to your website. And my friends and my banana friends. And your banana friends. And if you're just joining us, it's um, an interview that um, I've been looking forward to all week long. It's Becky Martz, and we're talking about her banana label collection. Now, let's talk about the number of labels in your collection, over 8,000. Yes. How do you display them? One of the reasons I really like collecting banana labels is you don't have to dust them. (laughs) Okay. I keep them in uh, in notebooks okay. and um, keep them on a shelf when I'm done with them, working on them. I can just close the notebooks and put them away. And uh, so that's one of the things that attracts me to banana labels. People who collect postcards and uh, stamps and other kinds of printed material do display and keep their collections similarly. So that, that makes a lot of sense. But I'm going to guess that even if they don't need dusting, that, 8,500 labels is going to take up a lot of room. Do you have a separate area where you display them, or are they on bookcases? I, I have them in a bookcase in my family room, but, um, you know, you can get a lot of labels on a page. So you just get some big notebooks and and start filling them up, you know. It's it's really great that it's just it's a hobby that mm-hmm. you, can, you can put as much or little time as you want into it, and... It's you know it, it started out being free, but as my husband pointed out, once we started flying around the world to meet my friends, you know it wasn't free anymore. But. Well, and that's another thing that I think is so um, so much fun about this hobby, um, as it is with so many of our other collecting hobbies, is that no matter what you collect, you can find because of the internet a, a network of people who are similarly interested. Now I know we've talked about 
the fact that you guys meet occasionally, and you meet in some pretty fun places. Tell us where you all meet. Well, we've been to Munich twice, and that's uh, a just a location that's convenient for a lot of people to get to. Okay. We, we met in Vienna once, and in December we went to Costa Rica, mm. and that was the biggest group we'd ever had. And we met so many people there who collect banana labels. There are so many people who collect, who work on these plantations, who don't have Internet access. When we were in Costa Rica, three people who worked at our hotel said to us, Oh, I collect banana labels. No and kidding. And it was a maid and two waiters. So, so even people who who are doing this for their livelihood collect stickers right, from the plantation. Right. Now, those stickers, I bet... And I bet those stickers that are from places like Costa Rica are probably a good bit different than what we see here, or are they? Absolutely. No, they are. They are. We have contact with several guys. One guy is the head of a, a group of small banana growers, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been a very valuable contact to have. It's the Collector Show with Harold Nickel here on Web Talk Radio, and we're talking with Becky Martz about her banana label collection, her enormous banana label collection and the association and friends that she's made along the way. What, Becky, is your favorite label in your collection? I do have a favorite label. It's Jacko, J-A-C-K-O. Okay. And it has everything that a uh, collector wants. It's, uh, it's old. It's from about 1960. Okay. And it's... Um, Cute has a picture of a cute little boy with bananas for hair, <laughs> and it's rare. So I'm, as a collector, I'm those are the things that really collectors look. Something. This was a gift, a Christmas gift to me a couple of years ago from a guy in Sweden. Oh, how nice! Yes. Yeah. Now, when you go to trade a label like your Jacko label, what would someone offer you? Assuming you'd be interested in trading, what would you what would you trade for? Well, in that case, it would have to be another old and rare label. Okay. And there are very few labels that would have that kind of weight in a trade deal. So if we were going to compare that to a baseball card, that might be like a Babe Ruth rookie card. The I think probably so, yes. That is so cool. Now, other than the countries, can we learn the plantations that the bananas came from by looking at the labels? Sometimes you can. Um, some companies, uh, Dole is one, is now starting to put uh, plantation numbers on their labels, especially with organic labels. You will see that. Sure. Uh, so sometimes you can tell exactly what plantation it came from. And I've heard that the labels on all fruit and vegetables are also edible. Have you heard that? <laughs> well, I, I think they're it depends on what you mean by edible. Well, I think you can ingest it without dying, I think is what it means. I don't think we'd go yeah. out and purposely I, eat I one. I don't think it's going to kill you, but I, I would think they are paper or plastic with glue on them and ink. So. Yeah, we're not going to recommend it. I just wondered if no. uh, if that was uh, part of the hobby, was the edible versus the non-edible uh, labels. I haven't been eating mine, so. Okay, well, that's probably and, and, and good. The interesting thing about banana labels is, they're on skin that you throw away. Right. As opposed to like apple labels. Right, where you could easily bite into right. the right. label. 
Now, let's talk about any upcoming trips or association gatherings that people listening might be able to participate in. Do you have any planned, and how can we we sign up? We don't have anything firm yet. We were talking about going to Mexico in 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's something that um, we've just been, you know, tossing around among ourselves. But on Sunday afternoons, you can see a connection on my website. Mm-hmm. There is a chat room. Okay. And and on Sunday afternoons, we meet there. It's 3.30 Eastern time. And um, anyone's invited to come and, and um, just lurk or engage us in conversation about sure. the nail label collecting. You don't need a password. You just go to the chat room and enter. Okay. That sounds like fun and a good way to learn more and, and uh, get acquainted with some of the other people yes. in in the hobby. Now, do you get a lot of media requests, Becky, for interviews because of your hobby? Well, I do have several. I have had several, yes. Okay. And uh, recently, American Profile, the magazine that comes in some newspapers, um, was out and uh, interviewed me and took pictures. and So that was nice. And I'm always hopeful that that will lead to new collectors and people that remember Uncle George's old banana label collection that they want to give me, which very often happens. So if you come across a relative's old banana label collection, don't throw it away. Contact, don't throw it away. Contact <laughs> Becky. She'll, she'll know what to do with it. I'm very lucky with that. Now, you talked a little bit about the trading, and, of course, every uh, kid knows about trading uh the trading cards for for sports and and mostly baseball, and you said you guys really are not interested in selling your collections. You're more interested in trading. Right. Why is that? I think the big reason is that most people originally became interested in banana labels because they are free, mm-hmm. and that is one of the big attractions. Um, some people are interested in little glass figurines that you pay a lot of money for, well, that's a different kind of thing, you know, and we just, that's one of the things that attracts us. Some of the collectors used to collect stamps, and it just became fantastically expensive. Right. So uh, they gave that up and started collecting banana labels. Have you ever had an occasion to go into the to the grocery store and, like, buy a banana but stick lots of different labels on a single banana? Have you seen me? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I have a vision. <laughs> yes, yes. Sometimes uh, the couple of bananas I are often quite solid with labels. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Now, there was a particular supermarket in uh, Houston when we talked before that you recommended to go and find a wider variety yes. of labels. Tell us about that. Um, any ethnic market. I was talking, I think, about Fiesta That's right, Fiesta, yeah. that's right. In, in Houston, which is a small chain there. That uh, is um, an ethnic supermarket, and um, that will a lot of times have uh, different labels. Also, any kind of farmer's market or uh, open market like that sometimes will have different banana labels. I'm quite lucky. I live in Houston, Texas, and for a banana label collector, that's a good place to live. Sometimes our markets get bananas coming up from Central America or, Me- or Mexico, mm-hmm. and they just come maybe a truckload at a time or just a few boxes so I can get different labels like that. Also, organic or whole food stores. Okay, well, that's a good recommendation. There are a lot more whole food markets around the country than there are uh, 
fiesta stores. And, you know, living in Houston, that's... Almost every city has some kinds of ethnic supermarkets, Asian supermarkets okay. or Hispanic supermarkets or Armenian or... So a good place to go and investigate the different banana labels is the the different stores instead of going to, I don't know, Kroger once a week. Branch yeah, out. Uh, yeah, Kroger, or I don't mean particularly Kroger, but any chain store, you will almost always find the same labels week after week unless that brand happens to be running a promo or a movie you know, promo or something like that. That is, without a doubt, I mean, and I got to tell you, we've done dozens of interviews with the show, I guess, in the going on a year and a half that, that we've done it, and we haven't invited a lot of people back just because there are so many different kinds of collections and different kinds of hobbies. But um, I, there have been a couple of shows that we did. Um, the Man Who Collected Vacuum Cleaners, I thought that was... That's very interesting. That was yes, a neat interview. Yes. And and then, of I, course... I agree, but I, you would have to dust those seats away. Well, that's right, and he had like 1,500 of them. But um, yeah. banana labels and um, just the reasons to get into it, the things you can learn about... Um, the companies and where they came from, and uh, even yes, it sounds and, like and the countries, right? The countries, and it sounds like going to Costa Rica and meeting some of the people who actually uh, harvest bananas. That's right. That's right. It was, and it was a real eye-opening experience. We'd heard rumors, and <laughs> oh, so oh. It, it was just uh, very interesting. We saw them putting on the labels, and it was great. So it's a hand labeling operation. Uh-huh. Now they the, were putting them on by hand. How do the fruit companies feel about you guys? Have you ever heard from them? I have. Okay. And uh, usually it's because they don't like where I have placed the label. Oh. <laughs> so I, just for ease, I had placed a, a, a large company's uh, rainforest label mm-hmm. into a section that I had labeled organic, and I heard from their lawyers. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, said. You need to take that out of organic and put it somewhere else because not, rainforest is not organic. Well, okay, that's okay, I'll move it. well, that's a different answer than what I anticipated because what I was <laughs> expecting to hear was, "Oh, yeah, they want me to come to their conventions and talk to the shareholders and and things like that." But all you get is uh, um, small companies are much more open. You know, I, I can you know write to them and I said, you know, I just found your label and I have friends would would like your label and could I could you send me some? And this company, Nietzsche, was so kind and they were so thrilled that somebody noticed, oh, and a couple of times the banana sticker designer contacted me and said, oh, I'm so happy that somebody pays attention to them. Oh, that's awesome. That's really yeah. nice to hear. And another yeah. thing, I, another new thing I learned, someone's job is to design banana Label That's stickers. Right. I know, and I always wonder why we didn't hear from them. And then twice now in the last, I think, year, I have heard from from designers. Is there anything, Becky, that um, you know we haven't talked about because we're going to run out of time uh, momentarily that we didn't talk about? You think people would be interested in knowing about the hobby that we've not discussed? Well, I trade regularly with about forty different collectors, and I have that at least that many more that I trade with infrequently. It's a great hobby. Children can do it. Oh, sure. You know, or elderly people can do it. Everybody can do it. And, and it's great. You can contact me by um, on my website. There's a way to contact me. And 
I can help you get started, and we'd love to see more banana label collectors. Give us your website one more time. It's www.beckymartz.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-A-R-T-Z. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for, for coming back and being with us again on The Collector's Show. I have so enjoyed chatting with you again. and I'm so happy to be back. I love to talk about my banana label. <laughs> and we'll talk again. Okay, Harold. It's been great talking to you. Stay tuned, everybody, for the Found Collectible of the Week coming up next on The Collector's Show. It's the Found Collectible of the Week this week with our friend Heather Gallegos. Heather, welcome back. Hi, Harold. Thanks for having me. We really missed you last week. I'm very sorry about last week. Family I, emergency couldn't be helped. Well, um, we all understand those kinds of things, but I was listening to the show when I was editing it, and the one one thing occurred to me when I was putting the Found Collectible of the Week segment together, it's a lot better if you're on. <laughs> you need me. I do. <laughs> The segment was short and uninformative, oh, so uh, people all over North America were busy turning their computers off. <laughs> anyway. I find that very hard to believe. Well, you know, we talked about banana stickers earlier in the show. I know. And I know that you have found a hobby related to bananas. I have. Let's hear about we're it. We're going to talk about collecting fruit bowls. Fruit bowls. Fruit bowls. Now, this may be go, it may go more under like the category of collecting silver or glass. Okay. Um, because fruit bowls are made out of many, many different um, materials. Well, see, that's kind of what I was thinking because I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, a fruit bowl at my house is a clean bowl I can find. Uh, any clean bowl you can find. It'll do. <laughs> Actually, um, there's many different types of materials, like I was saying, that make up fruit bowls. Mm-hmm. So. The things that we're going to look at today are depression glass, oh. um, milk glass, okay. and silver. I also may touch a little bit on like the Art Deco or Carnival glass. Okay. And then I, one interesting one that I found, antlers. Yes, that's right, antlers. Like uh, reindeer antlers? Well, maybe deer antlers. All right. That well, have made bulls. Oh man! All right. Well, let's um, let's start with the more with the more pedestrian first. The glass bowls. Tell us about those. Well, depression glass is one of the ones I find just to be so fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very inexpensive glass that was made during the Depression era, mid-1920s and 1940s. Okay. And it was originally just given away in cereal boxes and also um, to customers at gas stations or sometimes department stores. So these were premiums mm-hmm. for uh, other kinds of purchases. That's correct. But today, it's one of the most collected types of glass. We ought to do a show about um, things that you sent box tops away for. Sometimes, sorry, oh. my my head, my brain just leaked into my uh, into my mouth. But anyway, so these were premiums mm-hmm. at department stores and gas stations. That's right. So, but now, like I was just saying, today it's it's one of the most collected types of glass artwork, almost that's out there. And the interesting thing about depression glass is it isn't a blown type of glass. Mm-hmm. It was actually made out of mold. Okay. So you, when, you, when you get depression glass, that's one of the things that you want to look for. Um, there are a lot of forgeries out there. Mm-hmm. You'll see lines on the side where the mold was broken off. Okay. So that's one way to tell if something is um, 
is a real piece of depression glass. So they make a single bowl mm-hmm. and then break the mold? Well, as they're taking it out, really. I didn't mean to make, break it, but oh, okay. removing the glass from it. You broke the glass out of the mold. Right, exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Remember, these are very inexpensive. No one of a kind. Yeah, that, well, glass. Yeah, well, that's immediately where my head went was that, gosh, each one was unique. <laughs> I bet they are valuable. <laughs> they were mass-produced. Okay. So that's one type of uh, fruit bowl if you're looking, you know, to start a collection. Okay. Really what I think you're going to want to do is look at the type of material that the bowl is made out of. Right. Whatever you have a fondness for or whatever may fit into the decor of your home or just what you like aesthetically to look at. I think that's a good, I think that's good advice for any kind of collectible. I think so. Now let's talk about silver. Are we talking about sterling silver, silver plate? Both, okay. There's fruit bowls made out of every kind of silver that you can imagine. Sterling, the plated, uh, everything. So the things that you're going to want to look for when collecting your silver fruit bowls is any wear or damage. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't always detract from value. I mean, slight damage can just mean that it was used. Right. We're not going to want to look for dents, things like that. That's going to be a big red flag. Um, Also, markings so that you know who made it and when it was made. Always. Always a really good thing to look for. And then if there's been any repairs to the piece. Mm-hmm. So if you're at an estate sale, really look that piece over really well. Now I know for the really um, expensive silver that if a silversmith had made a piece, mm-hmm. that his um, stamp or signature would be on it. So that would also be something else to keep an eye out for. Exactly. Keep in mind when you're looking for that if you have a certain collection at home already of silver, mm-hmm. you may want to stick with that line and keep your fruit ball in that same um, line or collection. Now, another thing that occurs to me, and I don't know if this came up in the research for collecting silver fruit bowls, but some fruit like strawberries are very, or oranges are very acidic, and that would have tend to oxidize the silver right. and make the fruit taste bad. Right, exactly. It's really not good for your fruit to keep it in that type of bowl, mm-hmm. and then you're going to want to go for a glass type mm-hmm. of bowl. Right. But it's also then, you know, if you're starting a collection, mind what you put in the bowls and also your care mm-hmm. for the bowl. You're going to want to, you know, continue to wash your bowls, keep them clean, also treat them with silver polish as right. appropriate. Now, another thing that, or like here we have some depression glass ice cream bowls. I guess they could be fruit bowls. But they're very small. Are the fruit bowls... Do they tend to be smaller than a soup bowl? Fruit bowls tend to be larger than Mm -hmm. a soup bowl, and they tend to have shallow sides, so they're actually not good to use with liquid. Some people sometimes use a punch bowl as a fruit bowl, but a fruit bowl usually, like I said, much more shallow than a punch bowl, and the slides are either curved out or flouted so that you can display the fruit in a more attractive way. So it's really not a good bowl to be, you know, you wouldn't want to use it for... For like cereal, mm-hmm. maybe ice cream, depending mm-hmm. how much ice cream you like. <laughs> well, you might get brain freeze. <laughs> you need a. For me, I need a. I need a trough, yeah. <laughs> not a fruit bowl. I like ice cream too, but a fruit bowl would hold a large amount of ice cream. Well, because you can pile it up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there you go. I think we're both thinking the same thing here. Absolutely. So those are the things to look for. Um, sometimes fruit bowls also have a detachable pedestal oh. so as to give them height on the table. That's another thing to look for. So look for their bases when you're out there scouring, you know, rummage sales, antique sales, estate sales. Now's the time of the year.
here for that sort of thing. That's right. And um, so, so look for the bases to go with them as well. Now, are the bases detachable? I'm going to guess that they are. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're just part of the piece. It just depends. That's neat. I did Now, that I did not know. Look at that. I'm here to educate you, Harold. Absolutely. <laughs> You've got your work cut out for you. Well, I don't think so. But just another really thing that um, I'd like to touch on quickly sure. is, you know, I've mentioned all these different ways around your communities to find fruit bowls. Mm-hmm. But, you know, eBay, always a good way to find things. I did a quick search. Yes. Over 2,000 hits. For fruit bowls. Fruit bowls. That's right. Now, some were paintings, so I tried to whittle those out of the search, so that's why we're right around 2000 mm-hmm. Most expensive, $15,000. Wow. For a Benedetti silver fruit bowl, direct from Italy. It's um, handcrafted by an artisan. Mm-hmm. And in the cheapest, right around $10, clear pressed glass. So, so see, it could be whatever you want to collect. You can set your price range. You can pick your collection. There's a lot of uh, a lot of variables that you get to really personalize on what you want to do when collecting this sort of, of piece. You could start with El Cheapo glass bowls, or you could do something all the way to the Italian art. Exactly. All right, and then it got weird. It did. Antlers. Yeah. That seems odd. It does seem odd. But, you know, a fruit bowl is just really a receptacle to hold the fruit. Well. And so you don't really need firm sides, like I was saying. They're usually flouted or, or rolled over. So people who, you know, are more in the woodsy category. Well, the only kind of an antler that I'm aware of that might work to hold fruit is a moose antler because they're big and flat. Right. Is, is, uh, well, the one that, a couple that I found, actually, it wasn't just one, excuse me. The one, uh, I found a couple on mm-hmm. eBay, and it looked like it was um, a couple of antlers somehow fastened together. Mm-hmm. So, and, they, and they looked to be like, like a deer antler. So it it had spaces in it? It had spaces in it. But, you know, like if you were to say put your bananas on the outside, mm-hmm. I guess that would work. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if you're really, like, into, like, the lodgy, you know, type of decor. Right. That might be good. I, I'm having a hard time getting my picturing this. Are they round? Yeah. Well, not perfectly round. But they're like a bird's nest? Kind of. Okay. Or like an oval. Yeah, I mean, but with like a flatter bottom in which to rest fruit, and then you know, going up on the sides. Now you're going to have to check it out here. I'm going to have to go look. But I did they say anything about how they were held together? Are they glued or tied? No, I, I didn't see how. I couldn't find that on the website. Sorry wow. about that. I wish I knew. Well, that's okay. Maybe like wiring. I, I don't know. Because gluing, I mean. Well, that would. Would that work? Well, if you washed it, depending on the glue. Yeah. And you washed it in hot water, the glue would melt. I'm not into taxidermy, so I don't know how. Oh, that I'm not works. either. Yeah, but uh, somebody out there is. Someone will. Someone will write to us and tell us, and that's right. And and we'll let them know. And speaking of people who wrote to us, you remember last week, John Morris, who collected meteorites, was on the show. That's right. I got the nicest letter from him, and he sent Aww. me two meteorites. Wow. That he had found, or that had been found, in a desert in northern Africa. Wow. That's so. Fantastic. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. And what a nice thing of John to do. That was very nice. Okay, Heather, thank you about for telling us all about fruit bowls. Now, next week, we're going to talk about something other than fruit. It's going to be yo-yos and yo-yo collecting next week on the Collector Show. Um, did you have a yo-yo when you were a kid? Oh, I had several. Yeah? Yeah, I loved my yo-yos. Could you do tricks? I could do, like, walk the dog. 
Yeah. A few loop-de-loop thingies, but that's about it. I had to do, um, I did a marketing piece once mm-hmm. that uh, was centered around a yo-yo, and it was to avoid the ups and downs of a certain kind of a dilemma. I can't remember what it was, but it seemed it seemed funny 20 years ago. But anyway, next week on The Collector Show, yo-yos. And I think, if our luck holds out, we'll have a man who's actually not just a collector, but a yo-yo demonstrator for the Duncan Yo-Yo Company. Coming up next week on The Collector Show, thanks to everyone for listening, and tune in again next week. Bye for now. If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you some art Thanks for listening to The Collector's Show. See you next week. If I had a million dollars I'd buy your love I'd be rich.